Blog Talk Radio. Obviously, it's um, a very, very fun song, and I'll have Bruce tell you a little bit about that. Welcome to a special edition of the Indie Cafe on the Red Velvet Media Network, and we have Bruce Pavitt with us today and Spencer Drake from New York. 
and we are going to be talking about Sub Pop, um, a book that was created by Bruce, um, and we're also going to be talking about his record label and all the really cool books and all the really amazing people like Nirvana Soundgarden and pretty much everybody that, you know, is grunge in Europe and all these really amazing books that he's done. And then um, today we're going to focus on Sub Pop USA, Subterranean Pop Music Anthology, 1980 to 1988. And with that, I am going to bring Bruce in and I'm also going to bring um, Spencer in and also... Wanted to let everyone know if they missed the beginning of the show, the show will be available on iTunes afterwards and also on re- on demand on Red Velvet Media. And with that, um, away we go. Welcome to the show, Spencer and Bruce. Hey, thanks, <laughs> you Thank you, Holly. Yeah. Amazing song. What a way to start a Friday, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love Buzz, it's called. Yeah. Well, I remember, the, I remember the first time I heard that song, was uh, at Nirvana's very first show in Seattle. It was at the the, uh, Central Tavern in uh, Mm -hmm. April of 1988, the first time the band had come to Seattle, and they did a little showcase for John Quantum and and myself. And Mm -hmm. I joke about how there were four people in the audience, myself, John, the doorman, and the bartender, which is about what it looked like. And I'll tell you, the band didn't really have any stage presence, and they didn't have much material to work with, which is why we chose this Shocking Blue cover song as their Mm -hmm. debut single. Kurt Cobain had an awesome voice, but he had not really developed as a songwriter at that time, but we took a gamble and released that as the very first single to our infamous uh, Sub Pop Singles Club. Oh, that's amazing. I love him. I've always loved him. I I knew him personally, and I was really sad when all the stuff went down. So, yeah, um, it was really weird last night. I was um, looking at my Heavier Than Heaven book, and I had some newspaper articles in there and some photos of he and I. It was really amazing. Yeah, what a great person. What a great thing Absolutely. you did. Yeah. So, well, Spencer. Uh, the most, pardon me? Yeah, I mean, I have oh, the, the first Nirvana sleeve is in my uh, 545 book. Um, uh, Jeff Kleinsmith sent me, Bruce and Holly. You know, so oh, that awesome. kind of iconic type thing it was uh, no yeah. type on the cover. I loved it, the picture on the front. It's a classic, uh, you know, historic type cover. You know. Well, I'm I'm super excited about Bruce because Bruce, you're you're like Seattle. You, you were um, this whole your whole record company's out of Seattle, correct? That is correct. Yes. And I mean. I spent a lot of time in Seattle, and I know that, you know, between there, you know, from going there to Vermont and then going up to Canada, it's just, like, amazing, you know, it's such a great area, and uh, the culture there and the music is so different, and, you know, um, we have a whole area in California that is very Seattle-type music, too. There's such a different sound there, and it's such great to be able to bring that, so... Your music um, that you've created, and then with your record company and this amazing book, and I know that. Oh, real quick, let me give the website out real quick. Uh, it's subpop s u b p o p dot com, and I know you have a special website just for the book too that we're going to be talking about today, right? Well, uh, people can read about it uh, at my bruce dot com site. Oh, okay, cool. 
Okay, cool. Good, cool. So everyone, um, that's B R U C E, and then P A V I T T. I had the sub pop that's um, up. Yeah, very cool. So um, let's talk about how you um, started, you know, with the book, and then created the record company and your partner that in crime that you are with and working with. Yes, well, uh, the the brief story is in uh, 1979, I mm-hmm. moved from Chicago. I was kind of part of the Chicago punk scene there. Moved to Olympia, Washington to go to the freewheeling Evergreen State College, which housed uh-huh. at that at that time Chaos FM Radio, which I would argue was the most radical radio station in the country because it was uh-huh. the only station that prioritized DIY independent recordings. Wow. So I, I began to do a show focusing on, on homemade records, a lot of punk stuff, and I realized many of these records were not being reviewed anywhere. So I started mm-hmm. a zine, and I especially tried to highlight bands that were working outside of media centers like New York and L.A. So I was mm-hmm. emphasizing uh, bands from Seattle, Cincinnati, Austin, all these cool little scenes around the country that weren't really being written about and whose mm-hmm. records really weren't being represented. The zine morphed into a cassette compilation, morphed into a syndicated column, and the zines and the columns are all in my book, Sub Pop USA, covers a span of 1980 to 1988. And 1988 was the year that uh, Poneman and I, John Poneman and I, opened the doors to the Sub Pop record label office down at uh, First in Virginia there. Amazing. Amazing. So uh, I, let me ask you a question, Jonathan. Yeah. What made you What made you sign Nirvana? Of course, uh, when I spoke to Jeff Kleinsmith, by the way, who's the art director of Sub Pop since '87, a very good friend of mine, he had told me there were a lot of groups in that area doing a certain type of sound. Uh, what What gravitated you to that group? That's my question. Okay, uh, essentially. Just to give you a little more background, in uh, 1986, I released the first Sub Pop album kind of out of my bedroom. It was called Sub Pop 100, and it had tracks from all over the country, kind of like my cassette compilations. However, a little bit after that, there was a local compilation album called Deep Six that came out. It had the Melvins and Green River and Soundgarden, Mm -hmm. and it became very apparent that there was a sludgier, heavier take on punk that was distinctive to the Seattle area. So my next move was to sign Green River, and, you know, that band went on to form Mud Honey and Pearl Jam. Right. So we released released an EP, and it was the Deep Six compilation that really inspired me to stay focused on what was going on in Seattle, because Seattle uh, was developing this unique culture, and I wanted to document that. The Green River, Soundgarden. Now, when we saw Nirvana, their sound kind of matched so different. With the slower, yeah. heavier, grungier vibe. It was it was a little different, but it was still kind of in that in that mode. And mm-hmm. since we're trying to embrace that culture and document it, we felt that they were a good fit. The amazing thing about Nirvana and Kurt Cobain is how they grew exponentially as artists. 
I stated earlier yeah. when I first saw them, the mm. material wasn't there, the showmanship right. wasn't there. A year later, a year and a half later, they were just blowing everybody away. And <laughs> I've never seen any yeah, artist grow like that. They just kept getting better and better. And I've never witnessed anything like it in my life. It's uh, you that know, scared uh, him, I, I kinda, you know. I kind of relate you know that, that to... You know that scared him. The, uh, the other thing I want to talk yeah. about is that you, you, you Bruce, are kind of like people I work with, like Seymour Stein or Chris Blackwell. They had vision as record label owners... Mm-hmm to see groups that nobody believed in in the beginning, right, and got them in the dirt grit beginning, mm-hmm. and then later they evolved into iconic groups, right? So I think you had that talent, right? I mean, I, you know, really, you had that talent of Absolutely. seeing something intuitive, right, right Holly? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, he had the ear to hear it and, and, and the vision. He was painting yeah. pictures. And I have to tell you, when... Nirvana exploded, and you know this probably personally because you probably had very intimate conversations with him as well. He was scared of that. It kind of scared him a little bit. It was a high for him, but it scared yes. him also. Absolutely. Yeah. It would, it would, I would think it would scare anybody. I mean, their growth was, was a, so huge. They I went can't from, tell you. you know, totally. Yeah, I, you know, a couple of years prior, I would see him at the local Grange Hall, uh, with mm-hmm. Beat Happening in the Melvins playing for 60 people and, you know, people outside drinking drinking beer around the campfire. Next thing you know, mm-hmm. they're on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah. I remember him not him being so nervous to go on stage on, on two or three different occasions. It was really funny. Um, I think a lot of people had to really get him out there and... What a great, what a great thing! But you've worked with some other amazing people, um, not just Nirvana. I mean, you have a great ear for hearing other music. Can you tell me what you're currently working on, and then can we talk about your book and how that came about? Sure, sure. Well, you know, I'm currently on the board of advisors at Sub Pop, but I'm no longer involved with the day to day, and I'm not signing acts. But what I am working on. Is mm-hmm. uh, is actually a revolutionary new music format that's, oh, cool. that's interactive, and the company is called oh. Eight Stem. And the the What's essential concept is you cut out. It's called, it called? Uh, Eight Eight Stem, the numeral Eight S T E M. And my business partner and I feel that in the future, as it unfolds, that music will become more interactive, where it's customers will be able to customize and remix music on their phones and then share wow. it on social media. That's and great. my my friend Adam has developed this technology and it's it's pretty mind blowing. So imagine an artist releases a track and okay. three days later there's a there's a thousand different permutations of that song floating around the internet. So that's How what we envision happening in the next uh, couple of years. Yeah. I want to ask you a question. How does that go with um the copyright infringement and all that, are, are, is it a certain song that the artist has allowed the person to, you're getting um, prior authorization from the artist for people to remix it? Yes, yes. It would have okay, to be, cool. uh, initially we'd be working with young indie artists who own their own publishing and their own material. And it's okay. going to start uh, grassroots like that. And then I believe mm-hmm. the industry will, will adapt as as it oh, will have to. That's so that's, that's exciting. Yes, I yeah, want it, great. I want it, I want it. Are you <laughs> going to do a Kickstarter campaign for it? 
Sure. No, we're we're <laughs> we're doing well. Uh, we're no, going go to go into beta mode do? in about three months from now. Yeah, so that's what I'm really like excited to... about. Oh, and in I the am meantime, too. I, well, thank <laughs> you. And as far as the book goes, I, I realized that uh, the zines and columns had reviewed hundreds of artists that you can't even find by, you know, Googling their names on the Internet. This is the pre-Internet stuff, a lot of obscure mm-hmm. bands. And if you flip to the back of the book and go through the index, it's, yeah. uh, you know, a couple thousand band names there. Amazing So I felt book. like it was uh, a legitimate historical document, and anybody picking it up and flipping through is going to get a taste of underground music in the yeah. 80s in America. Now, right. Spencer, you might remember the 80s. It was kind of a, in some ways, it was kind of a, the dark ages, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. The underground superstars like Sonic Youth, if they sold five or 10,000 records, that was actually mm-hmm. kind of a big deal, like getting a gold yeah. or a platinum record. Uh, it wasn't until Nirvana broke through with Nevermind that a lot of America started to wake up to the fact that there are indie labels like SST and Homestead and Go and Sub Pop. And then the culture shifted a bit, and uh, indie music in America got a little more respect, a little more recognition. Absolutely. Indie culture in the 80s laid the groundwork and the foundation for Nirvana's ultimate success, and that's what this book documents. Absolutely. Yep, I agree. I agree. I mean, you know, it's interesting, like the the production of the... Uh, the production of Nirvana's albums influenced uh-huh. so many groups of doing albums in the same type of production, right, Bruce? You know what I'm saying? Well, it it depends on which record you're talking about. Uh, if you're talking about Nevermind, you know, Bleach did really well, too, and the production on that was with Jack and Dino, and it was, it was pretty raw. Uh-huh. So I would say, and then Albini's production was, was pretty radical, too. So... In all three instances of their studio albums, uh, they worked with very, very creative producers, and I would, I would argue that all three of those producers had had some influence. Yeah, I mean that's, that's what made them. That's it was so mind blowing yeah. to hear production like that at that time for me. You know, it kind of came out of left field. You know, it's like Led Zeppelin coming out with their production. You know what I'm saying? In uh, another vein. Yeah. In a different vein, you know what I'm saying? Cool. Yeah. Totally different. Hey, listen, let me give the phone number out real quick. Again, this is a special edition of the Indie Cafe on Red Velvet Media. If you'd like to call in and speak with either myself, Spencer, or Bruce, the number is 347-677-1036. The chat room is open. You do need to create an account, and if you missed the beginning of the show, um, you can check it out on iTunes afterwards and on demand on Red Velvet Media. And we're so happy to have Bruce with us. And it's BrucePavitt.com, right, Bruce? And um, Yes. Also then, um, that would be a really great place to start. And uh, I'm really excited about this new new thing you're coming out with. Gosh, Spencer, this is going to be... I know, this it's This is going to change music as we know it. <laughs> well, it's going to change music you know, as we know it legitimately. Because, yeah, you know, I, intellectual I so, property I, rights. Yeah, intellectual yeah. property yes. as well as everybody knows, including Spencer, yeah. because he's such a great artist, and you yourself, Bruce, with working with so many people, is such a big thing right now. And, yes. you know, copyright infringement and all that, you know, and so now you're going to be able to do this legitimately and be creative. You guys Ab- should have absolutely. like a contest. Put a song <laughs> out, 
No, no, no. Yeah. Seriously, I'm thinking oh, about marketing no, it's a, here. You know it. Oh, put yeah. a song so out. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. put a song out and have somebody like mix it, and then that isn't like a professional DJ that I don't exactly. you know that you've seen, and then take them all and listen to them, and right. then have a panel that decides yeah. which one sounds you're going to feature that 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 Absolutely. really showcases the song the best way. What do you think about that? My 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 17 year old son is kind of the target audience. Awesome. I don't know. I don't know if you've seen any 17-year-olds recently, but they 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 pretty much have their cell phone taped to their arm, right. and uh, it's it's a new generation. I know vinyl yeah. is still going strong, and Spencer, you and I were talking about that. That you know, there's still a respect for vinyl yeah. and, and the beauty of the artwork and the the hands-on vibe of vinyl. But there's a younger generation, I'd say that uh, that is less. <clears throat> that is more enamored with digital than analog, you know, and that's, that's mm-hmm. what I'm observing with my 17 year old. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, the kids are really hip. I mean, tech is very is. fast. You know, each generation, right? Holly, I mean, you know, you have kids and my Absolutely. partner, Judith has, and the younger my, they are, right. They're really hip to it when they get out of the my crib. daughter. Yeah. My <laughs> daughter, it's really funny. We're laughing about my daughter cause we were sharing pictures earlier. Um, my daughter, she will text me and say, oh, my God, she'll text me a link to a video, and she goes, watch it. Just watch the whole way through, please, and tell me what you think. And it's like something I've never seen yet. And I'll still go, wow. I go, that's really cool. So she'll introduce me to something new, you know, that just, like, blows me away, you know, and, and, and some of the stuff that I mean that that I've like listened to that's totally out of my realm, and I love music straight across the board, like Christina Novelli, Concrete Angel, when that came out, and that guy remixed that, you know, and the DJ and her tour and stuff, that was a whole different sound. And then the grunge sound, and then the the rock and roll, everything all being remixed and remastered and everything, that's like really cool, you know. Um, yeah. How, how you, old's your daughter? She is 23. Awesome. And very, very opinionated about music. Loves old music, loves new music. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of everything. That's pretty... My, uh, and pretty... Judith, my partner, her uh, her daughter, Ariel, is like 25. Justin's 30. He's a filmmaker. But they're both into music, too, very heavy. And wow. You're right, and, and I Music's think all the kids so talked about. Yeah, they, they're really sharp. I mean, Bruce, when I had to pick up getting back into the music vein in a certain way, I, I went to them or young kids because they're really, you know, blah, blah, blah right now with all that stuff, you know, I mean, just to yeah. get me back. And, you know, it's really interesting. Once you're out of music for a year or two, which I was, I think I was out for a little bit, you lose a lot, and there's so many groups packed in here now, right? It's you know, yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I mean, you got to sort through the uh, the pile, you might say. You know, sort through it. How do you feel, you know, Bruce? How do you feel about the new groups today? I hear well, airplanes. Uh, Are you in an airport? Yeah. Well, actually, uh, I that was an airplane, and I'm currently standing outside. I live on Orcas Island, and Ooh, so a small awesome. private plane is flying into the local airport. There's about 5,000 people here who live on the island here. And we did get oh, a little air noise it. there. 
Oh, no, so I wanted, to, I wanted to finish that question. Bruce, do you, how sorry, do you feel about the new groups today? The new groups today? You know what I mean? New, new musicians. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's such a broad range from electronic dance music to hip-hop to indie rock, and uh, we could spend all day talking about that. Uh, you know, in the Northwest here, there's a deep-rooted tradition of, of more of the indie rock thing, and that's been going for a good solid 20 years now, and it's, it's still strong. Uh, well, the the pop charts this year has seen records by Modest Mouse, um, right? Yeah, uh, Father John Misty, uh, all, all and uh, all sorts of regional bands are still are still keeping that spirit alive, even if they might be working with larger record companies. But if you listen to the production on the new Modest Mouse album, for example. Uh, you'll. It doesn't really sound like anything else that's, that's on the radio. It's very creative. It's still pretty raw, and that's the tradition that's been going on here in the Northwest for a while. And I think that tradition is going to continue. I mean, I'm really looking. You know who I look to a lot, and I think Holly agrees. Jack White with his uh, Third Man record label, uh, the vinyl label, which now like yes. Neil Young's keyed into it too with his music and. Um, I, I think they record both. I think they record analog and digital. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Vinyl. Yeah. It's a very interesting what he's doing. But he's a real visionary guy like you are. And, oh, he's um, a total visionary, yeah. Yeah, so, total visionary. And, and and what Nashville's become uh, now is a crossover of music, whereas before it was just country. Now it's, we have a film festival going down there in, in November with music and uh, film and art and it's just a crossover of music right now in Nashville. So it's really exciting, you know. Fantastic. You know what There's I want to know? Uh-huh. Is, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. There's a little bit no. of a lag in the in the um, audio. What I wanted to ask you is do you personally, do you make it like once a week or how often do you go out and check out um, unsigned bands and go to open mic nights and stuff like that? Because I know you must do sure. that. Yeah, I'll hit it about once a week or so. Really? There's a lot That's of music awesome. going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, New Mo's would be a premier uh, intimate nightclub in Seattle. Uh, the Showbox is a little bigger, 900 to 1,000 capacity. I'll see shows there. Um, and there's also, I commute back and forth between Orcas and Seattle, and I'll also hit like open mics and stuff like that just just here on the island. Wow. So, you know, music uh, has always been a, a big part of my life. Yeah. That's I'm still doing that myself. My partner's Judith doesn't go out that much, but I'm literally going to clubs and openings and uh, a lot of music, you know, here in New York. Uh, the Bowery Electric is one club that seems to be a very raw club that seems to be doing a lot of things in the raw vein. Uh, cool. Chris and Holly, you know. You know what I want to... You know what I wanted to talk about was the book um, more, um, some of the stuff that's in the book. Um, right. I want to, first of all, how would somebody go about getting the book, Bruce, from you, going on to the site? Thank you. Uh, the the publisher, uh, Bazillion Points, is based mm-hmm. in, in Brooklyn. They've been supporting me with, with this book and also my uh, photo journal, Experiencing Nirvana, uh, came out a couple years ago. So both mm-hmm. of those books are available through Bazillion Points dot com okay and uh, they usually throw in 
Oh, extra freebies that you wouldn't you wouldn't see at Amazon and so forth. Oh, nice. So I, I highly recommend people going directly to uh, Bazillion Points. Bazillion uh, Points. Okay, okay hold on. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put that in there. I'm going to ta- I'm going to push that put that as a tag for our show so people know. Okay. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it just went into its uh, second edition. That's great. And I was very honored that a number of friends wrote essays for the book, like Calvin Johnson, the head of K Records, um, uh, Ann Powers, who is a critic at LA Times and so forth, Uh, Charles Cross, who wrote Heavier Than Heaven, and Gerard Cosloy from Matador. So it's, 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 uh, it's, it's an insight into the 80s underground culture that I think goes deeper than most books, and I do feel that it, it works as the, the deepest index available of 80s underground American music. You know what I like about the book also? The way it's designed. I You know, I get into book design, but I love the way it's designed. It's really uh, underground grunge design, but very well done, if I could describe it that way. I don't know. In my, cool. In my, and I, really, I like looking at it because it reminds me – it reminds me of the. I, I have some older books here, uh, like uh-huh. uh, like a forty uh, Holly, like a forty fives of the nineteen seventies, yeah. and they would be designed similar, not the same, but similar to this feeling in the book. Really cool of the era, and I think that's. Uh, I like that about the book. It has that really nice feel. You know, you go you go through the book and you're reading, and the visuality of it is really cool. Uh, well, I, I did want to. I did want to mention a little bit about the, the early days of the zine. Um, just want to remind people that the Sub Pop record label, which has you know, been around for a good 25-plus years right now, started with these zines. And these zines uh, were created by myself back when I was a student at Evergreen with mm-hmm. no resources whatsoever. Uh, I had an X-Acto knife, a glue stick, <laughs> access wow. to a Xerox machine, <laughs> but I was providing information that was hard to find, so I, I found an audience. And like Andy Schwartz from New York Rocker would write me and go, "Hey, you're thanks for the zine. You're turning me on to stuff I, I've never even heard of before." I had uh, letters from CBS. Oh, send me the Sub Pop Five cassette. You know that the, that letter is actually in the book. So I was doing a lot of deep treasure hunting the American underground and, and documenting a lot of records that nobody else is really uh, highlighting or featuring because there was still this cultural prejudice that if you were a good band, you would move to New York or you'd move to LA and you would jumpstart your career that way. The idea of actually mm-hmm. staying in your hometown and trying to make it work w- was kind of a crazy idea at the time. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you, I went to the website for a bazillion points. You're right there on the front page. It's. I love their website. Great website. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, great really people. got some really great books on there too. Um, and the guy who, Holly, by the way, Nirvana. the guy who runs it, he's very nice, Bruce. Really? You know, the, the man. Oh yeah. They're really cool. I mean, they're really. You can pick up the vibe, Bruce. Is like a very cool record com- I I book ducks. company. What? I hear ducks. I hear ducks. <laughs> I hear all kinds of things. It's funny, you know, when you're in the studio. You're everything in the background, everywhere, and it's really cool. See, you're on a on on on. Are those ducks? Those are <laughs> those are crows, actually. Yeah, they're crows. I'm wow. living cool. on a remote. I'm I live on a remote island with uh, oh, that's animals cool. and plants. Yeah, great. Right, cool. And the like weather here I... is insane. So of course I'm I'm outside 
in a park enjoying the fresh air here. It's, it's pretty nice. wonderful. The island's called Orcas Island, by the way, and it's one of the most oh, beautiful cool. places on the planet. So, What's it called? Here. Orcas Island? Yes. Yeah, I know where that is. Okay, yeah, yeah, very nice. You're lucky. That's a nice place to be, and you've got the weekend coming up. I saw you know I it. saw the pictures of um, of you on your Facebook. With you, did your daughter just graduate? That is correct. Yes. That's so cool. She just graduated uh, with honors from Mount Holyoke College, and she's staying in Western Massachusetts. And my son Cedar has uh, gone out to there. So, been a father of two. I am a father of two, and spent some time on the island, given uh, some quality attention to my kids. And it's it's been an epic journey. You know, um, how does your daughter like, how how has it been with raising children and being in the music industry and being in that creative realm? Um, I know for me, um, being around music and being around the entertainment industry, raising my daughter was really trippy because I got to really experience a lot of different things with her. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, my, my daughter, Iris, in particular, uh, mm-hmm. is wired for tunes, and I'll share some anecdotes with you. When she was 12, uh-huh. she was flipping through my my collection, and she was like, oh, Dad, I really like this band, Gang of Four. Uh, oh, and, and the and the slit. And I'm like, well, this is more like college-level punk rock stuff. I'm I'm impressed that you would, you would like this. So she's had an ear for, for interesting music from day one. We used to uh, DJ together for uh, family fundraisers for the school, and that's one of my my prized uh, memories of being with my daughter is uh, rocking the house uh, when she was 12 and 13. Um, Sweet memories. Oh, that's amazing. See, you know, music does bring back a lot of really good memories for a lot of people, too. Um, So I wanted to ask... When you had been listening and working with all these different bands and going out and actually experiencing this, do you have any memories of any certain times that you want to share with our listeners that um, with any certain bands or anything that you personally want to share so we can get an idea of what it was like for you? Sure. Well, uh, I would say that uh, I was especially active um during during the 80s and the early 90s uh, back uh-huh. when the underground culture was a, it was a you know it was a community of people right a community mm-hmm. tight community of people that went to a lot of the same shows and we go out and see like Sonic Youth and Husker Du and Black Flag and certainly the Seattle bands came into play like Mud Honey and Soundgarden mm-hmm. started to uh get on these bills with touring underground bands and the Seattle scene continued to grow. And I, I will say that in the late eighties, early nineties, the Seattle bands, their live shows, in particular Mud Honey, Nirvana, and Soundgarden and Pearl Jam, uh, it was just some of the best live rock and roll I've ever seen. And um it's why it's why we rolled up our sleeves and did everything we could to uh put the put the records out. So it's just phenomenal. The records are good documents, but the live shows were were just indescribable. And typically you would see these bands in more intimate clubs with 100, 200, you know, maybe 500 people. 
of course, of course, post Nevermind things kind of changed. But I've always been a one who really loves to experience rock music in more intimate venues. I'm not the kind of person who would go to a, a big stadium for for anybody really. Uh huh. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, that must have been re- like really, really groundbreaking for you, and to be able to actually see something starting and then it become huge, like Nirvana did. Um, that's. But uh, let me and, and, go and, on and, here, uh, Holly. I want to bring up something. Yeah. Uh, how, the Mud Honey seems to be a group you followed a lot, right, Bruce? I mean, and, and absolutely. And and what was it about them that attracted you? Uh, first of all, Mark Arm was uh, was a friend of mine. He's one of the first people I met when I moved to Seattle in 1983. I've always really appreciated Mark's sense of humor. That's another thing about a lot of these early grunge bands. A lot of them were very funny, you know. So the the events were 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 totally rocking, but they had a great sense of humor. Mudhoney were creative. They never took anything too seriously. They were funny. They were spontaneous. They were playful. And this is everything great rock and roll should be. You never knew what the show, what their shows were going to look like. Wow. The, um, you know, I, I mean, Klein Smith to me is an incredible art director. He has made the thing about what I like, and I've, you know, I've been designing for so many record companies, is that the, the sleeves he designs, these sleeves are beautiful through all the years. Jeff has done great uh, sleeve design, which I think you got to have as a record company. You know what yes. I'm saying? You have to yes. have that type of visuality, and he's done. I'm looking at the Murder City, Murder City Devils. Murder City Devils. Mm-hmm. With a de- it's like the flame is on the bottom. The sleeve is yeah, just just very creative. Now I used to do art direction at Sub Pop before Jeff, uh-huh. and I, I instituted the whole kind of Sub Pop singles look with the uh, the with the bar across the top and the the, the logo on the front of the record jacket. And I designed the the inner sleeve for the 45s, and uh, kind of set the tone that way. Jeff came in and, and brought in his his own unique style. I think Sub Pop's had a pretty strong track record for for graphic presentation. That's for sure. Yeah, really. I mean, that's one thing that attracted me as a designer is that the continuity of the label is just overwhelming. You know what I mean? And that's well, one of our. In the early days, we worked a lot with the uh, photographer Charles Peterson, mm-hmm. who I, I think had a lot to do with the success of the early Seattle scene because his photography was so powerful, all those right. amazing live shots with the blurred energy. And we really tried to take advantage of that and use as many of his images as possible. And it cued people to to the fact that there was a, a scene and a culture there. It wasn't just a random scattering of bands. It was more of a of a of a community of people that were all kind of working together. And you also had what I noticed he oh he freelanced out to really great designers like Art Chantry, for instance. Um yeah. and Reed Reed Miles, who had all these great people, Ed Thrasher, Hypnosis, I mean the list is independent projects, Bruce Leisher, who wrote in my book and it was just like you had these freelancers also that were very high-end. Absolutely. And we worked with uh, illustrators. We drew from illustrators from kind of the Fantagraphics uh, underground comics community, people like uh, like Peter Bagg, for example, who was living in Seattle. Right. And uh, Dan- Daniel Klaus, for example. Uh, so it was uh, it's always been a fun mix of in-house creatives and uh, and people who, who worked independently. Yeah, yeah. 
That's, that's uh, imagery is so important. I think you know. And it's you key, that. and that's that's what uh, the this is kind of sadly missing from from uh, the transition to digital is. Uh, you know, it loses that, its essence, the, the, the visual. Think? I think the visual really. It's like yeah. back back yeah. in the day when I was collecting records. You, you could go to somebody's house and they essentially, if they had a record collection, they had an art collection. Okay, right. you'd flip yeah. through their art collection, look at the graphics, and it was part of hanging out and listening to music was really appreciating, absorbing the art of of the records. And then Spencer, I know you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I what, really what love is, the book. I love the yeah, book. Yeah, the book is, the book book is, is really great. fun, and I want to thank really, you I think so much for sending that to book. me. Yeah, it's it's well, got it's, a lot of really fun You know, really Holly, it's like historical, right? It's like a, a, a historical background to an era that people mm-hmm. have to read about, especially indie people. I mean, there's a lot of indie people out there, Bruce. I mean, they would love this book. You know, if they, if I they think know so, about too. It. Yeah. And uh, the so, title, again, is Sub Pop USA, the subterranean music anthology 1980 to 1988 yeah so now um where have you so you're working on some the the new project are you going to be working on any other books because i know that you did the other books before are you do you have any other books coming out uh, I don't have any other books planned, but uh, my relationship with Bazillion Points is, is really healthy. Both books have gone into second editions, and, yeah. um, you know, it, it'll it come to me when it comes to me. But I don't have anything yeah. planned at this time. So awesome. But I feel like I've got the 80s dialed in. Sub Pop USA covers 80 to 88. The Experiencing Nirvana Grunge in Europe 1989 book uh, basically covers a week in the life of Nirvana over in Europe in in uh, in '89. So between the mm-hmm. two books, I feel like I kind of would give people a, a kind of a full full spectrum view, uh, yeah, as much as possible, of kind of indie culture in the in the '80s decade. If I did another book, book, I'd definitely have to be on the yeah. next. So let me put it that way. The yeah, experience no, uh, Nirvana does. book. What, could you tell us a little bit about it so people may you know? The, the... Sure. Uh, I've seen it. It's amazing. It's pretty unique. It's essentially a photo journal. And when I was traveling with Nirvana uh, in in, uh, late November, early December, along with John Poneman in Europe, I documented uh, their their drama and their trials. And so it's essentially Mm -hmm. a photo journal. Uh, We arrived in Rome. We had heard that uh, Kurt was suffering from, from... from essentially burnout and nervous exhaustion. And they did a show that night, and Kurt smashed his guitar, climbed the PA, threw in the jump, uh, <laughs> yeah. went backstage and told told Chris that the band had broken up, and, and that was kind of it. And uh, John and I pulled Kurt out of the band for a day, and we spent some time chilling out in Rome, and we convinced Kurt to continue on because in one week was the big... Sub Pop Lame Fest showcase in London, and it was the best opportunity for both the label and the band to get some really good British press. And Spencer, you know how the game works, at least at that time. You could get into New Music Express and Melody Maker and some of those British, you'd get a lot more respect in America. So it was a super big deal. They wound up going to London, 
and I believe Nirvana really did steal the show, and New Music Express referred to Nirvana as Sub Pop's answer to the Beatles, which is a wow. pretty cheesy bit of And uh, I, I believe that that was kind of the tipping point in their career. Uh, they had toured Europe for six weeks. They had honed their show. They had some good press. They knew they could rock the most jaded audience in the world, which was London. And uh, lo and behold, uh, four months later, A&R people started to show up, and uh, that kind of changed everything. I, w- I, w- I saw a video on, um, uh, oh, God, I feel embarrassed now, Dave Grohl, uh, the group that, um, that he Who did after this. Foo Fighters, oh yeah. So it was a doc on Foo. Fu- you got a, uh, so so doc documentary on Foo Fighters, and the and the beginning of the movie, Dave Grohl gets on. You love this, and they said he got what he was re- really upset about was that people were upset that he changed from playing drums to playing guitar, <laughs> and, and right. they came down on him for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. Some of these things. I mean, these are creative musicians, right? You yeah. know what I'm saying? Absolutely. But I will but, say, for the record, um, Dave Grohl is one of the greatest drummers I've ever seen. And I think once Grohl joined the band, um, it's kind of game over. You know, they, that's when they really took it to the next level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, I uh, wanted to ask yeah. something when you're done there, Spence, about his... Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, no. Um, are you sure? Because I want to ask Bruce something really yeah, important. Him, this is important to me. Bruce... Yeah. It says that you do speaking conferences like symposiums at festivals and you consult with artists and music labels. Tell me a yeah. little bit about that. I'd like to know um what what is it like um Harmony Fest and and uh, like Lightning in a Bottle, like those type of festivals that you go and you do symposiums at? Yes, uh Lightning in a Bottle is an awesome festival. I have not I've not spoken at that that one, but there's a whole network of of West Coast festivals that um that uh highlight independent music. Uh uh-huh. the I more often speak at conferences uh and Focusing around uh, Nirvana, there was a Nirvana retrospective at uh, EMP, Experience, uh-huh. Experiencing Music Project, uh, where I spoke about Kurt, and um, there was a panel discussion at uh, Sub Pop's 25th anniversary, where Peter Bag and Charles Cross and Charles Peterson and I reflected on what was going on with, uh, with the frontier and so forth. Uh, so, just available for general speaking. That's amazing. That's really cool. So, how would somebody get in touch with you if they wanted to bring? Do you go into the hot indie in, into any of the schools and stuff like that and talk to people about people that are getting into music and what they might be looking sure. for? Wow, that's yeah, great. Yeah, I've, I've done some. I've done some Skype interviews for uh, college classes, uh-huh. and I'm available to do that kind of thing. Anyway, uh, if you go to BrucePavitt.com, there is a there is a contact email for me, and um, yeah, but I like okay, to do. Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Well, um, Spencer, did you have anything more that you wanted to talk to Bruce about? I think 
I think we're there with the visionary mind. <laughs> I'm satisfied. Yeah, no. I wanted to ask Bruce if he had any to any young adults or any musicians or anybody out there listening um, that would like some really good inspiration. Bruce, what would you like to um, leave our listeners with in regards to getting into music and pursuing their dreams? Well, you know, keep 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 it fun. Uh, number one, uh, people ask me all the time. How can I how can I get signed? You know that's what everybody yeah. wants to know. And right. and I'll 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 give you the straight up answer. The way to get signed is to to have a develop a talent for uh, for notoriety and for gaining attention. Because once you start doing shows, there's a line around the block. People will want to sign you. Okay, it's that simple. Or do creative videos on the on the cheap. Uh, post them on YouTube. It takes a certain creative. Uh, Certain creative ability to to get people's attention. You can be a talented songwriter, uh, but if you if you don't understand how to get people's attention, you're you're it's it's going to be a lot harder to get signed. So work with creative visual artists who can put together interesting posters, or a video artist that can do low budget good low budget creative uh, videos, that kind of thing. Is uh, is my suggestion to to young people to to get to get signed. Oh, that's awesome. That's really good. That's really good to be able to tell somebody because I know that we have quite a few people listening, and I and you know I always like to let people know um, what your message would like to be to the people listening. And again, if you Absolutely. missed the beginning of the show, yeah, no, seriously. If you missed the beginning of the show, it'll be available on iTunes afterwards and um, also on Red Velvet Media Blog Talk Radio under the Indie Cafe. This has been a special edition with both myself and Spencer Drake. Um, and I want to thank you, Bruce. I, I got to ask Bruce something. Yeah. Uh, Bruce, of course have not, you heard a new no, music seminar okay, in New York? Spencer. No, it's I, not okay. me. Have you heard <laughs> of a new okay. music seminar in New York? New uh, music absolutely. seminar. Absolutely. Yes, I used to attend those. Back Do you? In the day. Uh, I always think it's good for musicians, or because of the way the world is right now, that they have to distribute and work themselves rather than someone doing it for them. To go to something yes. like that to learn about Absolutely. the industry, right? Mm-hmm. It's a very indie-oriented well. too, right? Very indie-oriented. Yeah. Yes. I'm going to that. We cover that every year on radio, you know. So uh, it was Tom Silverman. I think is doing a great job. But I was wondering if you were connected with that, you know. When well, I, I sat in on I sat in on some panels with the uh, new, new new music seminar back in the day, and uh, do a great job. South by Southwest uh, does a really good job. But thank you again for inviting me on your show and allowing me to talk to people about my Sub Pop USA book, Index of uh, American Indie Music from the '80s, which includes the early Sub Pop zines and Sub Pop columns and basically laid the groundwork for the sub-pop record label. Thank you so much. Oh, we're quite welcome. Well, we're glad you were here. Thank you. And um, we um, would like to invite you back when you get your new project up and running, because that would be Fantastic. groundbreaking. I, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. We'd love yep. to have you we'll back. Have to, we'll, we'll talk about 8STEM in, in, in a while. I really appreciate that. Well, you guys have an awesome no. day. Take care. Hey, you so too. Cool. Thank Take you. Care. Take care, Bruce. Are you there, Spence? Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, so anyway, um, that was a really fun show. I really like him. He's a really interesting person. Isn't he person. great? He's a great guy, very historic yeah, guy. Yeah, very nice, That's, very, very yeah. easy to talk to, um, yeah. has, been, has been around and obviously has been very involved in a lot of the music that we saw growing up, you know, mm-hmm. like not meaning growing up us personally, but growing up as um, a record label and also as a music itself. Um, You know, I wanted to say to everyone, um, this coming, uh, let me look, let me look at the date, on um, June 3rd, believe it or not, we're almost into June, next Wednesday, I have a pre-recorded show with Rose Hartman that's going to be airing. And Spencer and I, um, um, Tracy and Renee from the, SES Society, we had reviewed her book, and um, we did, I decided that it would be really cool to do an interview with Rose up on Spencer's, um, um, you know, he, he encouraged me to do that along with Tracy and Renee, and since they had already done the brown, the groundbreaking on her book, I thought it was really important that we did do the interview. And I did the interview with her, pre-recorded it, and she was just lovely, and it was a really cool interview. So if anybody wants to hear that interview, it's going to be coming up this coming Wednesday. And we have some amazing shows that will be coming up um, very shortly. We're going to be announcing our new lineup. We have quite a few uh, shows that, if you missed, um, they are on demand on Red Velvet Media. And they're also on iTunes. You can check out the link. You can find Red Velvet Media as well as Spencer Drake on Facebook with his partner Judith, who is part of Judith um, and Spencer work together, Judith Salvez. And um, you can find all that on the net and also on Facebook. We're under Red Velvet Media, Blog Talk Radio, and Media. And then you have your own page as well on Facebook under yeah. Drate Salvez, yeah, so, so go like that. Spencer, Spencer Drate slash Judith Salavitz, S-A-L-A-V-E-T-Z. Mm-hmm. We show on there our album covers, our book covers, our, our really cool graphics. And I want to make an announcement that we just got selected to be shown at the Louvre Museum in Paris uh, in the summer with a number of other great uh, photographers and designers. So it was a very big honor for us just recently happened, so uh, that's the next thing on our in our agenda, I guess, you know. That's so cool. That's so cool. I, I'm so proud of you for that. That's just something oh, thanks, that Very nice I you. think that, you know, to be in the Louvre, I mean, um, if you've never been to the Louvre, guys, they do have, believe it or not, online, they have a tour that you can do um, on your on your Internet. You can do a virtual tour of the Louvre, believe it or not. But there's nothing like going to the Louvre. And I have such fond memories of Paris alone and then also going to the Louvre with my daughter and uh, her running down the Louvre. (laughs) Um, Oh, my God. She was like six years old, I think, at the time. Oh, wow. And she was running down the sidewalk. To um, not the sidewalk, the 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 walkway to this one picture that I was standing in front of, and she was trying to find it. She was screaming Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, Mona Lisa, and (laughs) 
she ended up in front of the Mona Lisa, and she was staring at it, and and she goes, she's so pretty, and I'm like, wow. So it was just so, you know, so what an experience, you know, and and even at a young age, it's such a fun place to go to. Um, I think museums are amazing, and I love spending time in museums. And 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 the other thing is we have a a co-designed Fear of Music album cover in the Looking, um, it's a music. Uh, looking at music, modern show at the moment now, which is going into the fall. So the irony is, in 2010 we had something in the MoMA and Brooklyn Museum, and this year we have the Louvre and MoMA, which is really incredible, going on with our design in some major museums. You know, it's really cool, actually. You know, and, oh, and that's, that's awesome. And the MoMA show. I wish you were here in New York because there are a couple of shows going on there. There's the making. Music Modern show, which is all about mm-hmm. sound and the visuals of music. And then you've got the Yoko Ono show, which is huge right now. And you've got the mm-hmm. Bjork show going on in the same, you can imagine it's all in the same museum, plus an incredible photography. Yeah, photography. So you've got, the MoMA has so much going on right now at this time. It's so exciting to see, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another, yeah, you're right. I mean, museums are a whole, I mean, you know, some of them have amazing shows going on. I enjoy I enjoy spending a day at a museum, and it doesn't matter where I am. I mean, you know, you could be anywhere, any city, and if you're really wanting to do something, just go get lost in the museum. Um, what I wanted to ask you was, it's Friday. I want to say happy Friday to everyone, and uh, go into the weekend. Don't Please don't drink and drive, and to have a beautiful weekend. And um, what I wanted to ask you was, what what are you what are your plans for the weekend? Are you going to any openings or anything? Because I know well, Spencer's always got it, something he's doing. Yeah, so in New York we got a pool. Uh, like tonight, there are two punk type openings. Lydia Lunch is doing a reading at the Howard uh-huh. Gallery in East Village, and I got Paul Zone with his underground book at um, which I got to get you a copy of, by the way, and myself a mm-hmm. copy. Uh, he's having a book a uh, photo show and book signing tonight. Down in Soho, that's going on just tonight. But uh, there are a couple of things going on that are really interesting. I mean, um, the Bowery Electric is having a Max's Kansas City 50th anniversary reunion on June, June 4th to the 7th at the Bowery Electric. Um, Willie Nile, our friend Willie, will be at a jo- John Lennon night at City Winery June 7th. Cool. Uh, June 27th, Joseph Arthur at City Winery, and June 30th. Our friend Bob Gruen at a wine pairing with a John yeah. Lennon with the Beatles with, with uh, City wines. Wine. Yeah, so <laughs> that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah, I think that's such a great, great way to do it. Um, we are going to end the show with a song that Bruce um, chose, which is called "Touch Me, I'm Sick." Um, it's kind of a cool. It's kind of a really different song. Well, I like it. It's it's different. Um, and with that, cool. <laughs> next, week, <laughs> next week on Wednesday, we have Rose. And um, then we're going to announce our new lineup. We've got quite a few shows I haven't put up yet. And uh, with that, do you have anything more you want to tell everybody I today? Think, uh, no, we I think we've, we're going to have some really cool shows coming up. We've got Jonathan Levine Gallery. Mm-hmm. We've got Photovisura, this exciting uh, photography site's going to be on, and um, 
uh, we're going to have musicians coming on. Mark Geary from Ireland. Some really interesting yep. art coming on, right? And um, so we have a lot of great uh, creative shows coming on between Holly and myself and both of us, you know. Yeah. Well, I want you to have a good weekend, and I'm sure I'll talk you too, Holly. Talk to you too, before Holly. the weekend, before before the end of the day. But for That's everyone right. listening out there, <laughs> we want to wish everyone a wonderful Friday. And, again, go into the weekend. Have fun. Um, this was a really short week. I hope everyone had a really safe and wonderful Memorial Day weekend um, last weekend. And now make this weekend really fun. And, uh, again, go into the weekend with a open heart and uh, don't drink and drive. I always have to tell everyone that because it's right. really tragic what's going on. And, um, you know, we're going to end the show with a really cool song right now. That's all I can say. What? I love you, Holly. (laughs) I love you, too. Bye. (laughs) Happy Friday. Happy Friday.